Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. From Tsunami Sushi in downtown Lafayette, we're Out to Lunch with Christian Maida, editor and publisher of The Current. It's business Acadiana style. Welcome to Out to Lunch. I'm Joanna Devine filling in for Christian Mater. Acadiana is a culture obsessed with itself. That's not unique, really. Regional pride is a thing in most places wherever you go. A strong cultural identity, or more precisely identities, can create a powerful market for artists who can tap into it. The ability to sell on social media or through e-commerce has only extended that reach. And that goes for pretty much any medium. There's the more classical approach of an artist like my guest, Herb Rowe. Herb is best known for his rich, textured, and detailed depictions of pastoral Acadiana, scenes of country Mardi Gras, po'boy shops, and boucheries. He grew up in Ohio, where he hooked up with muralist Robert Dafford and landed in Lafayette. Herb painted murals for 10 years before settling into a studio in Freetown to focus on his own work under the business moniker Chrome Sun. Since then, he's built a career tapping into the local and national obsession with Acadiana. Herbro, welcome to Out to Lunch. Hello, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. Acadiana's cultural landscape is a fitting subject for oil painting, but how about a chainsaw? That's one way sculptor Kelly Guidry has cut his own path in the art world. Kelly's a mixed media artist. He works in metal and wood and works in conversation with modern and traditional tokens of local life. He collects his work under the business name Modern Primitive, a brand concept he came up with while working in advertising. He left the ad business to work full-time as a sculptor. Today, he and his wife, Robin, work side-by-side to sell his and others' artwork at a gallery in Brobridge called The Pink Alligator. Kelly's work is also sold online by commission and at local festivals. Kelly Guidry, welcome to Out to Lunch. Thank you. Nice to be here. Nice to meet (laughs) you, too. I have a first question for you, Herb. Like a lot of artists, you're selling work these days through social media. Yes. Has that changed your relationship with the people who acquire your work? Does it make them feel more like customers or patrons? Um, I'm not real sure. I mean, um, the people who buy it from you in person, uh, I I guess they they feel, you know, more like patrons. But uh, the stuff online, since I never meet them, I get uh, an email address and uh, a physical address and then, you know, box, ship, run to the post office, you know. So I I guess they just feel almost more like anonymous customers. That makes so, sense. I mean, because, you know, I'm sure you probably ship stuff across the country, too. I'm shipping stuff across the country. Sure. So, you know, you, Oregon, Texas, I mean, Ohio, who knows? <laughs> but yeah. you're probably never going to meet them in person. So, Well, let's come <coughs> back to that. That's a, that's a good point. So question for, for Kelly. You've got a brick-and-mortar shop, but it sounds like you do a lot of your sales off-site. So why trouble yourself with an in-store experience? Wouldn't it improve your take-home pay to just do everything off-site? Originally, for years, I just worked out of the house, and I did everything. I kind of ran, you know, it was a one-man show. I did everything myself, and I deal with other galleries. But the thing is, you do festivals and things, but you have to have multiple streams of ways to not. You can't count on any one avenue for sales. You to, to really make it, you have to have multiple streams. I do the festivals. We I would do galleries. I would do online sales. And uh, what we ended up doing was it started off as doing a little home gallery when people would come to me directly. Then uh, we started doing the open studio tour and that kind of blossomed into a lot of uh, relationships with other artist friends. So we'd invite them to come and then that ended up rolling over into doing a gallery where 
yes, it's my primary way to sell, but it's uh, it's my wife's business and she represents over a dozen other artists and she makes jewelry and then she has a few other businesses that she runs out of it so it be it's it's more her business than it is mine way bigger than yeah. just kelly gidry sure yeah. sure and um like art is still like a personalized kind of thing so having a a gallery where the client could come in look at you or look at multiple things in person and not you know the anonymity of uh online where everything is you know digitized at you know at best a 300 by 300 little tiny image of a, a, a JPEG, you know, it doesn't really capture what a, even a the, lot of art looks like. So even just having the best that physical image, space, yeah, you don't yeah. have that. Yeah. I mean, even if you've got, you know, like giant PNGs uploaded, you still only see a brief glimpse of what a piece actually is. And uh, for a lot of people, buying art is such a personalized experience. Having a brick and mortar place where they can come to is still the, 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 the prime way <laughs> to, I mean, to show the work and sell it. You that know? makes so much sense to me. I mean, do people really buy art online? Yeah, I mean, is it's it not like buying to... widgets off of Amazon. You know, the, the, our widgets are slightly more involved. I, think. I don't know about you, but I it's it's far and few between that people will buy work from me that have never seen my work in person or have never met me in person. Right. For you, it's probably a little different, but I find that most of those sales are my repeat customers, people that have either bought from me before or they've already seen it in per person and have a, a more rounded underst understanding of what the, the work looks like in person versus an, an image online. It kind of varies. I mean, a lot of my sales, like a personalized sales, I'm more likely to sell something if I'm there showing it to them, explaining what's going on because everybody wants a, they want a story to go well, along with it. Of they're, course, they're, yeah. A lot of times they're actually buying the story as much as they're buying the art. Yeah. So. And and the, the, the in-depth process, like I was – uh, explaining to my mom this morning about how Herb, he doesn't just take a picture and paint it. He takes multiple pictures, collages them together, creates a composition, does preliminary drawings, does... The painting in itself is extremely impressive, but that's just a fraction of yeah, the work. Yeah, that's just the final step. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's a, just a that's fraction. A, that's the, like the little bit of the iceberg of what that's goes above into the water. It. Yeah, yeah, sure. That's exactly a question I have for you, Herb. It's like you're known for this intense level of detail in your mm -hmm. work. And so what goes into the preparation and how does that time and effort relate or does it relate in any way to how you price it or sell it? A lot of coffee and insanity. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> sitting up late at night doing little tiny brush strokes. Um, yeah. No, I... Yeah, I, I kind of pride myself on the layer of, you know, the, the amount of detail that I put into a piece. And it, sometimes I try to simplify my stuff and do bigger brush strokes. And it lasts for a month or two where I try to pare back. And then the next thing I know, I look up and I'm doing this, you know, four foot tall mural of beads, like literally 6,000 beads. I, I counted them out like, you know, square inch. There's this many beads in one. There's this extrapolate out over the canvas. Yeah, I just drew and painted in 6,000 beads. And they're not just like a dot, dot of color. There's a highlight side and a mid-tone side and under shadow. There's like six or eight different colors on each bead. You sure. know, that's you, you <laughs> have obsessive. It, you have this, you, I was going to say, you have this internal meter of what's acceptable to send out. Right. Regardless of what you what you've promised as far as price or whatever. It's like, okay, right. I've, I've quoted this price. This is what, you know, this is, or this is what the market will bear. Yeah. But this is not enough work for me to send it out with my name on it. Yeah. I've got to put more into it. I always end up doing it. way more. To, yeah, I, yeah, sure. Always. So <laughs> let's let's talk about commissions just for a second because you've mentioned that before we started recording today and, and that seemed like a really lively conversation. So my sense is that for artists, 
commissioned work is kind of a mixed bag. It's like love a blessing hate. and a curse. Yeah. <laughs> so what is both of your, you know, let's start with you, Kelly. What's your take on commissions? I mean, how do you approach uh, work like that with a client? Well, like, like Herb was saying earlier, if it's something relatively turnkey, something you've done a number of times, oh, I love your dragonfly. I want one just, you know, similar to that one. Easy. I've got it built in my head. I know where, I know all the tools I'm going to use, all the techniques. I, I can run through my head in a second. Do I have all the materials? Yes. All the materials are in my shop. This is about how long it's going to take me. Bing, bang, boom. It's done. All I have to do is do it. Somebody asks for something that I haven't done before. I'm going to have to go and research the images for the subject matter. Certain materials. Do I have that material? Do I have enough of it? I'm going to have to chase it down. There's certain techniques that have to do with I'm used to working at a certain scale. If I'm gonna work smaller or larger, I'm gonna to have to modify my techniques. I'm gonna to have to experiment. I'm not sure how long it's gonna take me. I'm gonna have some trial and error and frustration and, and just even some mental blocks of even starting the project. I'm gonna put it aside because there's something else that, that's gonna flow easier. So I'm gonna keep pushing that one aside until I force myself. So it's that's, that's, uh, that's about, tw- Three percent of and also of what you goes have to be through. mentally yeah. prepared to be well, like, for me anyway. I have to be mentally prepared to be working on a piece. So a lot of times, you know, when I'm doing my own work, I might play around with an idea in my head or do little sketches here and there for two or three or five years before I sit down and make the first painting about it. And then I might make twenty about that subject. Sure. Yeah. But sometimes it takes me forever just to get in the right frame of mind to figure out how I want to do it. And in a commission piece, they come to you and they're like, "Okay, well, I want, I need this now," and I'm like. I haven't had time to think about that. (laughs) Sometimes I I have to put it off for a few weeks or a few months just so I could work it around in my head to figure out where it's coming from and what it's going to be. Even though they they kind of have already told me what they want. Something's not clicking with you. Something's not. And I always say, if I I I try to force force it a lot of times, it it looks like it. (laughs) If I force it, it will look forced. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, yeah. But I mean, I'm also from the school work because the way we painted murals, you know, all those years, uh, you know, if the. The muse, it doesn't matter if she shows up or not. You still got to go to work that day, and you got to work 10 hours painting all day. Sure. I mean, it's all laid out there. So the best way to get the muse to come there is you'd already be working. And then when she shows up, you can just <laughs> keep going with the flow, you know. So, but with commission stuff, it's just, you know, sometimes I really do just have to delay it until sh- the muse shows up. Because it's yeah. going to look like I've forced it. And it's, it's not going to be something I'm satisfied with. Yeah. And you'll be yeah. like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I know. Done, yeah. Yeah. Like that one, that commission piece I have sitting on my easel right now. It's a big portrait and beautiful landscape in the background. And, and I've got the entire thing laid out, and I've got it all painted in with my dead color layer. And all I have to do now is just sit and start getting the likenesses right and do you know some, some nice anatomical work on this, these two figures and then blending that background out and everything. It'll, once it hits, I'll do it in like a week. It'll move fast. But it's when been you're sitting ready, there for I haven't ready. touched it in yeah. two weeks now because <laughs> sure. I'm just sure. sitting there looking at it every day while working on two other things, going, "How yeah. am I going to do this?" <laughs> I operate on a very disjointed timeline. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and everything to me is this weird chess game. Whereas, ooh, I can't, I can't paint this until I sand it, yep. but I can't sand it today because it's humid and it's raining and it's not a good day for that. But my little girl's at school right now, so this is a good time for me to run the chainsaw or to do the welding. Yep. I need this painting done, but that's really something I could do on a day where I'm not feeling very energetic. I feel pretty good today. Let me do this heavy work today, or I have to go run these errands. So while I'm in Lafayette, let me just take this day and go uh, uh, buy all these other supplies that I've been putting off for two weeks because I didn't want to take the time to go do the run. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure you do too, but that's why I try to keep like 
three to seven things going on simultaneously in the studio. <laughs> so it doesn't matter what I feel like that Closer day. Closer to 100. There's probably going to yeah. be something yeah. I can sit and work on, you know, that, um, you know, if I'm not feeling it, I work on this and then, you know, work on that. While stuff is drying or while something's percolating or while sure. I've only got two hours to go do something because I've got something else to do. You know, pa- paint and glue is always drying somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> I was just <laughs> waiting for the next I, cycle I, I, of comment, something else. I, you know, and, yeah. found my savings repeatedly over the last year. I wish I knew how many hours of my life I'd spent sitting watching paint dry. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. it is yeah. a lot. It's got to be thousands of hours yeah. just sitting there waiting for yeah. it to dry while, sure. so I could do the next thing. Especially because of the way I do layered oil glazes. And you can't do that next glaze of color until the first one's dry. And then, you know, that one's got to be dry before you do the next one. I built up, you know, I built up multiple glazes. So, yeah, it's literally thousands and of hours. And when you push it, then you screw it up. Yeah. Then uh, you got to start over again. So that's, yeah. I've done that where I've got something gluing and it's like, okay, I think it's, I think it's dry enough. It's been like an hour and a half and you start messing with it. And then yeah. the paint's still tacky and, the, and the, then it's coming yeah. apart. And it's like, you know what? Put it aside, give it a couple days, move yeah. on to something else. Yeah. Like you said, multiple, multiple, multiple projects. Yeah. So there's the downtime associated with being an artist in addition to the uptime. I mean, well, sure. Well, you're you know, working constantly. Sort of, right. But it's but the thing is, it's like, oh, how long did this project take? I don't know, because it was broken up into a hundred three-minute segments over the course of three weeks. Yeah, or, you yeah. know. People ask me, how long did it take you to do that? I really have no idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I yeah. Mean, yeah. And, and sometimes, you know, if I'm really feeling and I'm into it, it might take me literally a third as much as it would another time to make the same sure. size piece. I mean, and it's, but it's usually so disjointed, broken up over a weeks of work that I don't know. You know, I have a guesstimate. I, I, I know how much one a particular size pretty much takes. I sell it kind of based on that, but you know, sometimes they take forever and I'm like, man, I just spent a hundred hours on a painting that I'm gonna make 500 bucks on. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. Oh yeah. Or, yeah, or sure. I'd knock that out in a day. And it's the size that it, I sell for a considerably it le- more. It, le- it levels <laughs> off. Yeah. yeah Sometimes yeah, it, it, you, hope, it, you hope it does yeah, over the it, long haul. It evens haul. out. Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty sure overall, though, the uh, I'm probably leveraged into the uh, spent way too many hours sure. on most things. But it's, you know. And the only alternative is to do different work, and that's not yeah. an option. Oh, I, I, I keep <laughs> trying that, you know. Pare it down, change this, do that. Yeah. And then, you know, I try to, and then, you know, next thing I know, I'll pop up one day, and I'm back to doing what I kind of naturally gravitate toward, I guess. There's exactly. no really controlling you try, you try to how make you it do more that. Of, yeah. Okay, how can I make this more efficient? How can I do this yeah. where it's more profitable? And then you realize if money were the first... Were the if first, it was the prime if, motive if was in the my pri- life, I wouldn't if, be if doing was, what I do anyway. If it was the first priority, the first thing we do is do something entirely different. You're yes. going to do completely yeah. different work yeah. because yeah. this is... The if most it was the prime the operator of my life, I wouldn't be doing this. The most efficient way to do this is still not the most efficient way to make money. Yeah. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Joanna Devine, in for Christian Mater. I'm talking with artists Kelly Guidry and Herb Rowe. So both of you are, are sort of one-man businesses, in, in a sense. Yep. I mean, a lot of your work is self-directed. I mean, all of your work is self-directed. I mean, I know there are some externalities in terms of timing for festivals and gallery shows and things like that. But, I mean, do you ever take on assistance or students? Like, how does that work? How do you work in or do um, you even consider When I do mural mentoring? stuff, occasionally I'll have somebody help because that's it's usually just a big job and, you know, to make it um, – work within a time budget constraint sometimes you have to have help but i spent so many years working with somebody who had a lot of assistance and um i saw how much time over you know over the years you know at one point we had like 12 employees running three crews in three different states at one time and i saw how miserable it made him 
always having manager. to run the business yeah, and be the manager, manager instead yeah. of, you know, sitting down to work. And, you know, over the years, he just got to be a grumpier and grumpier old man. And I was like, man, I'm going to be just like that if I don't yeah. go do my thing and pare it down. And, and then, you know, after I quit working for him, you know, I, I really thought about, do I need assistance? Do I want to keep doing that line of work that I was doing with the murals? And I was like, I know, I don't really want to. And I, I don't want, you know, three people sitting around and me to keep them busy because that's not why I became an artist, to, to, yeah. to do that. And, it, you know, it sounds weird to be running a business where you don't want other people to be helping you do it <laughs> because, you know, that's the most efficient way that you make more money and that's what a business is, right? Exactly. But it's not yeah. <laughs> when you factor in how miserable you might be trying to do that. And I think early on it was something that was mine that I was proud of and I, right. and I, and I learned how to do and I always would say as compared to the average artist I'm a great businessman compared right. to the average businessman I'm a horrible 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 businessman right. <laughs> right. <laughs> but but for the you know to, I, I was good enough to not ever have to go back to doing another job I could yep. pay my bills and, and get and get by and that was rock star status as, a, as an artist you know and the yeah. idea and like you yeah. said It'd be great for somebody to come along and do all the stuff you didn't want to do without you having to tell them how to do it and without them getting in your way. But that's really but hard that's, to do I because I was one of those yeah. guys standing around all the time going, hey, sure. what do you want me to do next? Yeah. Hey, what do you want me to do I next? To hey, I can't read your mind too. about yeah. this piece of art, so sure. you have to tell me. Until I got good enough and comfortable enough working with him that a lot of times I could take on making decisions that he would probably make, which you made me really invaluable as an assistant yeah. to him. Sure. But after a while of doing that, it wasn't really what I wanted to be doing anymore because even no matter what I could do like that he was still having to spend so much time managing and and as I, as I looked at you know how many problems that gave him especially emotionally I was like you know I, I'm, I'm cantankerous I, like when I was a little kid I was a cantankerous little old man when I was a yeah, kid yeah. I don't need yeah. the added pressure of that making me you know unbearable so <laughs> well it's a weird curve by the time you bring somebody along you have to, to get so long for them to understand the way you like things done and what you need done to where right. like you said to where they can anticipate right. and do it and not get in your way by the time you get that curve then you've built somebody who's who's Qualified to qualified go do their own stuff. to go do their own thing. Yeah. yeah. Which is good. So, wh I mean, so that's why kind would of they want right. to... Yeah, right. That's kind of how the whole history of art, yeah. you know, sure. uh, for, you know, 600 yeah. years, that's basically the studio system. That's the, the apprentice. I mean, yeah. yeah. And, and that's what you want, but, you know... But by the time they're useful, they, they're leaving. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I did. <laughs> so, I'm curious. I mean, you know, we talk about sort of your career and the breadth of your... You know, the length of your career and the breadth of your career. I mean, can you ever retire as an artist? I don't think artists really think of it as, I mean, it's not like you're making widgets, punching a clock, and then um, one day you have to go do something else. You know, you spent your life doing this other thing that's, you know, um, I spend my life doing what I want to do, so. I always I say, mean, I, I'm doing, they're I'm, gonna I've find spent me my whole dead life in the studio do, one day, doing what you know? people wait until <laughs> yeah. they retire to do. Yeah. You know, most <laughs> yeah. people wait till they retire, oh, I'm going to do my hobby, I'm going to do X, Y, Z, you know, I'm going to get my shop, and I'm going to do this, yeah. and then you're. You have money, but now you now you're physically broken. You can't do that anymore. I'm too. I'm not strong enough, or I'm 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 ailing, or yeah. whatever. It's a yeah. yeah. It's no, like, you know, I, I spent my life. I worked really hard to have this life, to be able to do this stuff. Sure. Why would I quit? Retire? Go to? <laughs> and, do, and, do, and do like what? A, like a, a yeah. musician ever retires, or a, yeah. you know, um, anything like that. Um, anything in the arts. Yeah. You don't do it to have a career that you retire from. You, you just do, do it, it because slower. that's what you do. <laughs> you just do yeah. it a little slower. You know. Yeah. Maybe a little smaller. 
So I have to ask you, I mean, you've both adapted to social media. You've adapted to mm -hmm. selling on the Internet to some degree, even though it sounds like you're more at home or comfortable selling in your own space, in your own gallery space. So, I mean, what do you think about, like, this, the next level of NFTs or artificial intelligence? Yeah, you're not me, buying art. You you're think? buying a contract. You're not buying art. You're, you might not even be buying the art that you think you're buying because this might be somebody else's art that was stolen that somebody attached the JPEG of to this blockchain contract, and then you're buying that. And then even if you are buying what you think you're buying, you're buying a JPEG, a contract for a JPEG that anybody can change the link to at any time. So you might not even actually own it. You're there, buying the idea of an idea of like an I, idea. I, yeah. Every time I anybody asks me, it's tulips. You're buying tulips. <laughs> and do you understand the reference? Yes. Okay. Um, it's it's a boom and bust thing. Explain the yeah, uh, yeah. Back in it's a it's the Dutch, the first big bubble. It was a speculation on tulip bulbs, and people just pumped up the prices of these things. These, you know, almost ephemeral, basically worthless, you know, except bulbs that produced a pretty flower. And they got up to as much that a single bulb could cost more than a mansion. And then everybody popped their heads up one day and said oh no, these things are worthless, aren't they? And the wealth evaporated <laughs> like that overnight. Yeah. And and I get the feeling that NFTs are kind of the same thing. And I have artist friends who completely disagree with me on that. Yeah. Brett completely disagrees with me on that. Uh, but um, I just... I'm I not knowledgeable a, enough about yeah. it, but it just Over it doesn't make Over the last year when the NFT thing and all the blockchain yeah. stuff started crashing, I was like, yeah, <clears> there tulips, you, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and and I'm, I, I don't know if I'll be born out to be right or wrong about it, but I have the feeling that it's just, they're tulips. You know, and there, there might be some useful thing that evolves out of them right now, but it's right now it's so intrinsically tied up with con artists and people doing stuff on the internet where they're taking people's life savings and then it disappears into Bitcoin and then gone. Yeah. Um, I think there's too much of associated with it. We might have to die down before something really useful comes out of the technology, but I don't know. I have a, kind of a question on the flip side, which is more about the human connection. Mm -hmm you know to you as artists yeah. i mean do you feel like doing shows like this and you know going out to festivals and having people in a gallery space like you kelly i mean how important is that to your business model i mean how important is that human connection to what you do oh i, I think it's absolutely very important like i said look uh, herb and i both a lot of our work is about documenting the culture it is about representing the culture and 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 i i consider it that the the one I'm really a bad Cajun. I don't fish. I don't hunt. I don't, you know, I don't cook. I don't. <laughs> bad but Cajun. I'm bad a bad Cajun. Cajun. But that's my contribution. That's what I. That's what I could do. I can. I can help represent the culture and do things. And and oftentimes, uh, a lot of my customers, especially my repeat customers, are people that not, that either live in Georgia or or Houston or oil field business. They've gone, but they're taking a piece of that culture with them. And sometimes they come back. Sometimes, but it but it ties them. You know, it's it's one thing to be here and to be proud. That's that's wonderful too. But for some people, that's all they have is a little piece the of what, yeah. whatever artwork they have or things that they have that remind them of home that keep them connected to their so to much their of culture. making art and selling art is like we were talking about a while ago about the story too. I mean, um, it's um, for me, it's kind of like the difference between live music and a recording. Like you know. You, you'll listen to the recording, but you have an emotional experience when you're at a live show. And um, in a way, you know, meeting an artist at a gallery, at a show, looking at the work with them, letting them talk to you about it. I mean, it's it's closer to that transcendental experience of a show as opposed to, you know, like just buying the record and listening to it in your car or whatever, you know. I mean, there's this, this 
personalized experience with, you know, meeting them. People like that story. They, they want to hear your story. They want to hear your thoughts on it. They want to confirm what they think they know when they look at the piece. Sure. You know, the, when they ask you what does it mean, they're asking you to maybe confirm what they but they're afraid to to voice themselves what did what did you put into it yeah sometimes somebody will walk up and they'll tell me what my piece means right and it's like (laughs) okay well then then it's a mirror if that's what it means to you if that's how you connect with it then then i'm not going to correct you right but if you ask me what i had in what my intention was right when i put it in i i I enjoy trying to give the biggest you know thing possible because I really want them to have like a bit of a conversation with the piece. I want them to, to think about it and create something out of it, you know. If I have to explain too much about it, then I probably didn't do a good enough job doing the piece. I don't, you know, so I try to, but with some of my pieces, they keep on, what, what, no, explain more, 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 what does it mean? Look at it, tell, you tell me what it means. <laughs> so I imagine both of you are artists that sort of known for a specific style. I mean, mm-hmm. you're known for subject matter, you're known for a way of painting, you're known for, mm-hmm. you know, this sort of like quirky look at, mm-hmm. you know, oversized look at sure. our insects and life in Louisiana. I mean, is there external pressure to just create what sells, what's popular, what that style is? I mean, do you Bread get and butter. Yep. Pays the bills. And how you, do you balance that? You, uh, when you get frustrated and like I'm sick of making these or I don't feel like doing this or like I was might have been before we turned the mics on early I was telling the story of I have a little whiteboard in my shop and that's the that's the people standing there holding their money ready to pay for the stuff and I got to remind myself okay some bills are due do some of these other than that I'm making what I want to make and I and the thing is is very few things that I've made over the last 20 plus years have not sold. There's a few that lingered. Everything sells eventually. But if you need something to sell by the end of the month so that you can pay some bills, do this. If you just feel other than that, I'll make what I want to make and it sells eventually. It'll be at the next festival, at the next show. Might be six months, a year, two years. I have several times in my life just started doing something completely different. So, I mean, making sales I mean I'll do stuff sometimes that's more geared toward just selling some stuff but a lot of the times I'll just if I don't feel like working on a particular no matter how well it's selling I'll just start doing something else because I you know I didn't get into it to make widgets yeah <laughs> you know the I same widget over and, over and over and over yeah sometimes I'll you know I'll pop out a few widgets just to sure. have something in inventory for the people who really wanted it and should have bought it when I was making widgets all the time and that's but the, the other factor you know. is there's some people that can't afford your hiring yeah. stuff so they're still they're still yeah. a little bit uh, it's a dual track it's yes yeah. to, to to keep the bread and butter money coming in yeah. but also the little things allows a broader range of spectrum yeah. so that somebody who can't afford a five hundred yeah. no, thousand two thousand dollars small piece stuff like that can, so, yeah like I'll do a big piece or two about a subject or a theme that I'm working on but then I'll do like five or ten small versions some of them are variations some of them are where I'm working out the idea some of them I'm just still not done with and still playing with them so I like to you know and, and I do think of it in, in those terms of not everybody can afford a you know a six or a seven or eight thousand nobody everybody's got big enough wall to put some of my bigger pieces <laughs> sure. on. Sure, yeah. But everybody would like to have a little knickknack. And while it, it helps me, like, work through some stuff, also, you know, that's another widget to sell. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes it's a little more lightheaded, like, yeah. light, lighthearted and, and yeah. easy, easy. Uh, you, not, you don't have to 
not a lot of heavy thinking and yeah. effort. They're just yeah. kind of fun. Well, I've and already cute. done most of the thinking yeah. on the big one. Sure. So this one is just me exactly. playing with light yeah. or color or yeah. you know. It's, it can and be then, meditative to, yeah. to kind of, and like you said, sometimes it'll be I'm not cranking out ten duplicates, but I'll right. do ten variations. Yeah. I'll exactly. get in a I'll get I in love a, a run. Yeah. I love doing the little variations on a theme. And, and you'll experiment you know, and play yeah. and yeah. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the stuff you're doing on the little ones will spark how to do the bigger one better for the next time. And vice and, versa. And yeah, it's, yeah. You know, it's playing around. What an amazing conversation. <laughs> I feel like we could chat all day. Uh, you know, yeah. Herb, Kelly, art is a tough business and y- y'all have clearly found a way to make it work. So thank you so much for coming on Out to Lunch today. We really well, appreciate it. Thank, thank you. you. My guests on Out to Lunch Acadiana today have been artists Herbro and Kelly Gidry. We edited this conversation to fit into our time slot here on KRBS. You can hear our unedited conversation and find out more about Kelly and Herb by listening to the Out to Lunch Acadiana podcast. You can find and subscribe on your podcast app and on our website, itsacadiana.com. If you want to know what we all look like, you can find photos from this show on itsacadiana.com and on our Out to Lunch Acadiana social media. These photos were taken by Astra Morgan. You can find more of Astra's photos at astramorgan.com. Out to Lunch Acadiana is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsacadiana.com and KRBS 88.7 FM. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Our associate producers are Molly Richard and Chad Terrio. Our researcher is Leah Erdialis. Today's show was engineered by Dylan Babineau. I'm Joanna Devine. Christian will be back next week. To keep up with him, head to thecurrentla.com and sign up for The Current's newsletter. We'll see you next time for more business and conversation on Out to Lunch Acadiana. Bye. Out to Lunch Acadiana was recorded live over lunch at Tsunami Sushi on Jefferson Street in downtown Lafayette. Tsunami is open Tuesday through Saturday for lunch and dinner, serving sushi, sashimi, salads, and authentic Japanese grilled dishes. Tsunami welcomes casual dining or reservations. More information at servingsushi.com. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services services to a local, national, and international client base, joneswalker.com. And by Sunday Soda Fountain, nostalgic classics like ice cream sundaes, house-made sodas, and even libations on Jefferson Street in downtown Lafayette. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at mitchellforeman.com. If you'd like to be part of Out to Lunch, to learn how your business or organization can become an Out to Lunch program partner, email info at inobroadcasting.com.